G'day everyone, welcome to Mark and Cars Porsche Talk, the podcast where we talk about all things Porsche. If you love air-cooled, water-cooled, rear-engine, front-engine, or even mid-engine, there'll be something here for you. But most importantly, we'll talk to the people who are passionate about Porsche. I'm your host, Mark, from the YouTube channel Mark and Cars. Thank you for taking the time to listen or watch, and feel free to share any input, suggestions, and ideas through comments, reviews, or message me. You'll find me on most social media platforms as Mark and Cars. This evening, we've got a new sponsor for the podcast, Summon. Summon are a concierge car service that will assist you in selling your prestige car. You can sit back, relax, and their experienced team will sell your prestige car for you for the best price. Someone provides a streamlined way to sell safely and easily minus the hassle of selling privately, plus a better price than selling to a dealer. Check him out at summon.com.au. Today's special guest is Tim from Summon, and we're going to talk to Tim about his background in Porsches and all about selling your car, whether it's a Porsche or any other prestige car. Thank you very much for joining us today, Tim. Hi, my pleasure. Thanks for here. Thanks, mate. Tell us, Tim, you own a couple of Porsches, I understand. I do, I do. I love them. And uh, uh, it's very tempting being in this line of work to uh, to have more than two. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Tell us, what are you, what are you driving around in? Uh, I've got two cars. I've got, well, I've got more than two cars, but the Porsches are 911 964, um, which I've had for about five or six years. It's a C2 manual, beautiful car, and in diamond blue metallic. And um, I said I've had that for about six years. I bought that um, with the intent that I had a, a sort of a, a vision and a dream to do the Target Tasmania um, before really knowing anything about it. And sure. uh, a friend of mine had done it the year before with the uh, Porsche group with the, the tour. So I was talking to her about it and she's very involved in the Porsche community and she was raving about it and said, it's amazing. And obviously you need to have a Porsche to take part. So sure. I was like, okay, I started my journey of first, you know, what, what is the right Porsche to do it in? And I actually uh, decided I wanted to do it in a classic Porsche and um, hired a, an advisor to help me with that, a guy called Gavin Little, um, who's in the Porsche community up in Sydney. And uh, he helped me find and track down the perfect 911 964. And I purchased that turned up to my first uh, Target Tasmania and I thought that everyone else was going to be there in their classic cars and I turn up and my car's the oldest by about 30 years. Uh, everyone else is in their brand new GT3s. Latest, greatest, and, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, GT4s and, uh, and here's me in my, you know, my classic car and everybody's going, oh, you're brave bringing that, good on you. I'm like, well, what just happened? Um, yeah, yeah. I felt like I've been punked. And it was an absolutely an amazing event and so well run. It was brilliant fun. And thankfully, it was dry the entire week. For And if anyone's ever been to Tasmania, you know, that's a small miracle when you turn up in your 964 and it's dry for a week. Especially during the uh, week of Targa Tasmania and the fact that they only really have about four days of summer each year. Exactly. In March, yeah. It's, it's just as likely to snow as it is to be sunny. So I was pretty lucky. And so I had a brilliant week, but I did sort of think halfway, not more than probably the first day, more like half an hour and going, okay, I definitely brought a, a knife to a gunfight here. Um, but fortunately, during the week, there's every type of Porsche is there. Yeah, there's, there's probably 30 or 40 different cars. So you get a whole week to cross shop and decide what car you want to bring next year. Yeah, yeah, uh, great. And I decided a Cayman R was pretty much the perfect car 
for me and for targets. And so after that event, I came back. Then I started researching and looking for Cayman R's, which was hard because there's only 19 of them in Australia. Yes. Uh, well, there, there was when they were imported anyway. I think there might be less now. And um, eventually managed to find the, the perfect uh, Cayman R, so uh, the uh, Perillo Green, which is the launch colour, uh, and I bought that, and that's been my Targa car since then. And I've done, I think, another five Targa events around Australia in that car, all of them with the Porsche Group. Fantastic. Um, I've kept the 964, and that's no longer used on track for an event, and the Cayman R is for um, going going more quickly. In. Yeah, great. And uh, tell me, when you did the Targa Tassie in the 964, as you can tell from the car behind me, I'm a bit of a sympathiser to the air-cooled cars, the... Uh, did you drive down from Sydney to Melbourne, catch the ferry over to Tassie, do the whole thing? Uh, I live in Melbourne, so I didn't have to do the drive oh, yeah, down. Sure. But yeah, the car went across on the ferry, and I went across on the ferry as well. Uh, and which was a very the first one was the roughest trip I've been on. It was um, it was pretty shocking. Sure. Uh, but once you get there, it's all good. Um, I do the events with my father as my co-driver slash tag team driver, and he comes over from New Zealand and. We, um, we've done the, uh, the Great Barrier Reef event. We've done the high country here in, Australia, in Victoria. We've done Tasmania a couple of times. So um, Amazing. Yeah, it's a great way for us to spend time. Unfortunately, the, the travel bubble wasn't open with New Zealand quite in time this year, so I, I did it with a friend. Um, but hopefully, yeah, next year it'll be open and he'll be back over. Is he a uh, Porsche enthusiast? He is now. He wasn't before. Oh, really? Okay. He, so he hasn't... Uh, doesn't have something special in the garage he takes up to Leadfoot Festival or anything in New Zealand? Uh, he's an old Merc guy. Uh, so he's got... Um, uh, yeah. It's okay. Gull wings are old Mercs and they're pretty nice. So they can be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not quite that old. Yeah, okay. Uh, no, he's, uh, he's been into you know, rallying. He's a, he, he used to rally from when sure. you know, he was young and doing um, you know, social rallying and MG Car Club and... So yeah, great. sort of racing and things as well. So he's uh, I've inherited the love of cars from him, but he uh, has has never owned a Porsche. So yeah, maybe one day. Well, there's plenty of them in New Zealand. There's no doubt about that. It's an amazing Porsche community over there. Yeah, I spent a bit of time researching how to get a car from there over the here. It's uh, there's a, a good some good selection, some good prices over there, but there is there pretty is pretty much yeah. impossible to get a car here. Yeah, Other difficult. than getting my dad to buy one and then convincing him to move to Melbourne. So that's my yep. long-term plan. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Or uh, I guess you might end up with a temporary address somewhere in New Zealand for a couple of years before to bring a car over. I've, I've looked at every avenue, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. I can imagine. And um, so you're now in the, you, in the industry, obviously. You're assisting people in selling their cars. How, tell me about the path to get to where you are here. Yeah, sure. So um, my when, just before buying the 964 and the path of being able to buy the 964 was uh, I had a business, uh, a, a digital agency, so a company that did website design, web development, online marketing, and oh, we, yeah, yeah, we yeah. sold that business. Um, it was probably five, six years ago, so just before buying, getting the 964. Uh, and then I worked for that company for a few years, the company that acquired my business, then after that, had some time on my hands and spent time with the kids and doing car stuff and getting yeah, traveling around doing these Porsche events and um, really wanted to start a new business with my business partner from the old business, who's also my best friend. 
and we were sort of doing the going mountain biking, going skiing and hanging out together and deciding, you know, what are we going to do next? And I really wanted to do something to do with cars, but I also wanted to do something that I thought would be a good business and solve a real problem for people. And then, you know, in the, in the course of sort of talking about through ideas, we had another really good friend of ours who was trying to sell a car of his own. And we were just sort of talking through the challenge of selling a car privately or in any way really, and just how there's, it's not really a good option, basically. You know, or in the past, you had two options for selling your car. Both of them, frankly, are pretty bad options. You know, one of them is, uh, you know, not all the time, but a lot of the time. So one is selling the car yourself privately is normally a real pain. Uh, it takes, you know, a month at least, or is pretty typical, you know, sometimes up to a couple of months. If you're a busy professional, it's just not something you want to deal with. You get a lot of time wasters and... Not many people look forward to selling a car privately. Um, and so that's reluctant. And the other option is to take the car to a wholesaler or a dealer, whether it's as a trade-in or just as a, as a sale. Um, and that's super convenient, but you get, you know, you lose a lot of value in the car. And it's not because the dealers are ripping anyone off or making a huge amount of profit. It's just that there's a lot of kinks and that change is you know the, the dealer has a car and then they might sell it to a wholesaler and the wholesaler sells it to a dealer mm-hmm. the dealer sells it to a customer and there's fees and fees and profit and expenses and taxes all the way through and so you end up with um not a great price for the car sure, sure. so we just wanted to we were sort of saying why isn't there another way to do this and what potentially could be another way of solving that problem and we're talking to our friend and he had paid his brother to sell a car for himself. Um, I had paid someone else to sell a car for me. And we're going, so there's this kind of cottage industry of people who don't want to do it themselves. And they just get a friend or a relative to sell the car privately, someone who's got more inclination or more time on their hands. And just thought, you know, why, why is there not a business in that? You know, there are people who professionally help you to buy cars or brokers but there's no people who professionally help you to sell a car which is like an agent yeah, or yeah, a broker sure. or yep. not even really a good term for it and then it sort of set us down that path of going well how would we solve that problem using you know our background and design and technology and marketing to make that industry not just a um a professional industry and not just do it well but do it with um, you know, really as optimal as it could be, you know, providing as good a customer experience for the, the people and getting as good a price for the car as, as possible yeah. um, and making it scalable so it could be a really great business. Is it? Is it scalable? Is it a great business? Yeah, both yes. of those things. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, so it's, it's, things are going well? Yeah, fantastic. We just uh, celebrated, signed up our 100th customer um, a couple of weeks ago um, and I think we're at probably 110 or 120 now. Amazing. We started uh, almost exactly a year ago, actually, in uh, so July 1 last year. And after a bit of sort of experimentation and testing the idea out with friends and family to start with. Um, and, yeah, things have been accelerating and uh, we're learning, you know, building tools and software that help us do valuations of the car and right. yep. building a network of photographers and building up our team of concierges around Australia who the boots on the ground and doing the work with the cars and with the customers and also working out the value proposition and 
um, sort of pragmatic things like, you know, what's the right amount to charge and what are the right things to include and what are the things that we don't need to do that people don't find useful and what are the things that we need to, the, the biggest problems that we have to solve, you know, the things that are most important to the car owners when they're looking to sell it. Um, and so, yeah, there's plenty of uh, a huge amount of learning in the last year and it's not perfect. We're actually constantly iterating and experimenting and trying new things out, which is the thing that actually, you know, my two passions, you know, one is you know, design and technology and experimenting and trying new things and the other is cars. So, sure. you know, combining those two things is a pretty fun business. Yeah, good to hear. Now, look, in the last few years, there's been, you know, the combination of you know ballooning values of Porsche cars which you know is the interest of the listeners or viewers here of this particular podcast combined with ultimately the online presence online auction houses where there's very little responsibility taken by the sellers you know the sorry that's not true very little responsibility taken by the um, auction house themselves to find a buyer for a car now there are various ways i'm certainly not expecting you to justify one method over the other in this conversation there met there are multiple ways it'll appeal to different people you know there's you know arguments for and against multiple ways to buy and sell cars but yep. i can imagine the valuation part of it is really the fundamental grounding of what it is you guys are doing you know to give people a realistic understanding of the sell price of what their car is worth regardless of what you know asking prices in the market are so that you actually get good outcomes that meet expectations would i be right in thinking that um that's that's certainly step one that's the first thing that we do for any prospective customer is we do evaluation for the car um and if anyone on the podcast has a car that they're thinking about selling wants a free valuation then just go to the website someone.com.au put in a request and we'll happily do that um that's actually been probably our biggest development effort from a technology point of view in the last year is our valuation and reporting the, the data in the database and also the reporting tools on on top of that. And we are constantly improving that over time as well. But it's pretty good and it's super efficient for us to use. Yep. Uh, the only challenge with that is if there's not much volume for a particular car, then the report, the valuation can only be based on the data that we have. Cool. And so if you look, think about, like I was talking about Cayman Rs, for example, there's two maybe of those sold every year. Uh, so to do a valuation of that is yep. anybody, you know, anybody is going to struggle with any kind of amount of data. Everyone has the same data. The apple size is ridiculously small and questionable, even if you come up with a number. Exactly. So, um, and we say no all the time, politely say, look, we just can't do a good valuation for this car uh, if there's not enough data and we'll be honest about that. We won't. It's not in anyone's best interest for us to inflate, uh, you know, the value of the car. We want to be realistic and we we put ourselves on the hook for achieving that result. So yeah, we yeah. provide a money back guarantee, which is based on the valuation we provide. So if we say, the car's worth 200 to 220 uh, or 200 to 210 or whatever the range might be. If we can't sell the car within that range, we give the listing fee back to the customer. So we're happy to kind of place our own bets on the quality of the valuation. Um, it's, uh, yeah, fantastic. that's fantastic to know for a uh, potential customer that, you know, you guys back yourselves that hard. That's fantastic, you know. 
Yeah, um, and and so that, for that reason, if we can't do evaluation, we we won't. But then it's a discussion with the owner about the data that we do have and talking about what their aspiration might be. And if it's unrealistic, then we'll you know say, look, actually, I had that conversation today with a classic nine eleven owner. I'm very disappointed because absolutely, absolutely mint car, like it's a real collector's car, um, and. It wasn't um, the owner, you know, we valued the car and the, a good example, it was a 997 uh, and it was a good example of a car that's gone up in value a huge amount in the last year. And I said, look, it could be up to, you know, 140, 150. This time, 12 months ago, it was probably 100 to 110. Sure. And he was like, oh, it's probably worth more for me just to keep it. I think I'll just hold on to it. So, okay, well, that's fine. Like, so he was like, oh, if I could sell it for 200, then I, I will. As, thought, as would every 997 owner, yes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was saying, look, I just don't think that's going to be possible. So if you'd rather hold on to it, then you should drive it, enjoy it. It's going to continue to go up in value, not the same rate as it has, I don't think, but um, you're not going to go backwards from here. I, I'd be very surprised. Uh, so he's going to keep the car and enjoy it, which is fantastic. And to your point before about auction houses and other methods of selling, you know, you know, this business is, we have our own business and we you know, would like people to sign up with us, but it's actually just uh, whatever's the best result for the customer. If this gentleman wants to keep and enjoy, drive, yeah, enjoy driving the car, they've got on it, that's fantastic. Um, and if now that there are a few different options for him to sell that car, he, he won't, he'll keep it, but, uh, you know, being able to, auction the car or, you know, sell it with someone and having some, a few other alternatives that he didn't have available to him, you know, even maybe a year ago is, is great. It's good for yeah, the market sure. and it's good yeah. for the customer. Yeah, it is for sure. As a, um, like I'm potentially in the market for a 911 myself, right, as a buyer and look. What, what are you looking for, Mark? <laughs> look, I would like. Realistically, I'd like a I'd like a good three liter G series car, or mm-hmm. replace my daily with a nice manual nine nine seven C four S. But finding that both those cars are of similar value in today's market, I'm finding so there's a big difference between asking price and what I understand would be selling prices. But the only reason I'm bringing this up is when I've inquired with owners, you mentioned earlier that. It's a, it's a challenge to sell a car privately. So whenever I've approached a private seller about selling their car of either of those types of cars, and they are very different owners. A person who owns a manual C4S is a very yeah. different personality, typically at, to the G-Series three-litre car, of, you know, a good G-Series car. But in both cases lately, when I say lately, I'm talking the last month or two, just getting people to come back to me when I drop them messages or phone them or anything. It's just, I question the motivation behind a lot of sellers, whether or not they actually really want to sell or they're just sort of throwing their car out there to see if there's interest out there, what to me at the moment, and as a long-term Porsche enthusiast, seeing the recent spike in prices, you know, I just wonder whether or not they're just, you know, having a go. It would be the best way for me to describe what's going on in the market. Now, clearly, through your valuation data, you'd have a better insight as to what actual sell prices are like through the various platforms and data you'd have available to you at your end of the industry. So I'd be pretty curious to know, you know, what what's in the, in the two types of cars I'm looking at, which are very broad data sets, 
What's the difference between ask price and sell price? Is it a 5%? Is it a 10%? Mm-hmm. 20%? What are you finding as an average? So 4 to 5% is the average of cars that sell. Yes. Um, yep. So that's... Uh, between asking aside, price and sell price you're talking about there, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, that's setting aside cars that are fishing, you know, people. And it might be that, you know, well, I mean, I certainly know, I don't know. Moment. For those models, I'm not sure, but there's a couple other models I've been watching closely where there's absolutely people in the market going, well, I'll sell the car for this price. But that doesn't make any sense why they wouldn't then respond to a genuine inquiry from Mark. Uh, I'm assuming you're not, I'm assuming you're not like saying, hi, I'll offer whatever list price minus 50,000 is. Yeah, I'm not lowballing. No. I actually haven't even thrown numbers out there. All I want to do is talk to someone about their car, you know what I mean? So if they're fishing, they should probably be replying to, uh, you know, to, <laughs> to the fish. Um, so, I think so, yeah, I, I don't know why that would be the case. But, yeah, we do track um, through, you know, our, our sales. So a typical or well, the average difference between the final listing price, which might not be the same as the first listing price and the sale price is four to 5%. And we track that and that's our average. And someone in the industry who, uh, I won't say where they work, but someone who has a way, way more data than us said, unprompted exactly the same figure the other day. I was like, oh, good. Okay. Well, our <laughs> average is probably about the industry average. Yeah, yeah. I say it's good to know. Good to know. Yep. And yeah, because, you know, clearly- I wish people would just pay full price. Yeah, it would really take the hassle out for the the buyer, the seller. Everyone would be a lot happier if it was just, that is the sticker price. I'll sell it to you for that price. Yeah, yeah, that's. uh, I think that's called retail. Exactly. (laughs) I'm not sure why we don't just move to that. Yeah, fair enough. Look, I don't know either. Look, I don't think they're having any trouble getting the asking price on the GT3s that have just been released. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) How are you finding the uh, GT cars in, you know, Porsche GT cars in the uh, amount, the movement in the market at the moment? You know, outside of the 991, it feels like a lot of them have either not selling at all or they're just not on the market at all. Yeah, um, I'm not too close to it. We don't have, we haven't had a huge number of GT cars. Actually, uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, setting aside GTSs, um, like we had a few Macan GTSs, but um, in terms of 911 GT cars, we haven't, we've had one which we just listed and sold recently. And um, so, not a very good sample size. So, I'm not really sure. It's something I could look up in the database, but I don't have a good finger on the pulse for that. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And um, of the prestige brands, what are you finding is the, uh, the brand that has been quite successful for, you know, your product with Summon? Is there, is there a brand in particular that's gone really well? Yeah, it's, it's Porsche, funnily enough. And yeah, okay. I don't know if that's a bias, which is entirely possible that it is, um, or whether it's um, – it shouldn't be based on volume. Like we've, uh, we've got a – little business model around like and as part of the business modeling we did research into all the prestige car brands and what the volume of cars that are so we focus on cars valued at over fifty thousand. yeah so okay. these are all used cars mm-hmm. um and basically went okay well how many audis bmws what percentage of audis that go on the market each year are over fifty thousand and of bmws and mercedes and sure. Uh, and so Mercedes was number one, BMW number two, Audi number three, and Porsche was number four. 
but we've sold way more Porsches than any of those brands um, by, by quite a high margin. But we are also um, more active in the Porsche community um, between myself and so Gavin Little, who I mentioned before, uh, I first met five, six years ago, who helped me to find and buy my first Porsche, the, nine, the 964. Uh, he now works for us at Summon. He's our GM of operations. Yep, started cool. out in our concierge team as a contractor, and we hired him full-time in uh, November last year. And he oversees all of the concierge team um, in all the different areas that we operate. So yeah, he, he's fantastic. So kind of my Porsche uh, journey has come full circle in a way. Sounds like uh, working it. With Gav. Um, so he's involved in the Porsche community up in Sydney, and we've just started working with a concierge Tula in Queensland, and she's um, involved in the Porsche community in Queensland. And so through that and sponsorship of the Porsche Forum, um, I think those are the kind of things that I guess reinforce our bias. And so I'm not surprised yeah. that we've had more Porsches than, than Audis. Yeah, sure. And um, talk, speaking of Porsche Forum, I noticed a um, post from you recently regarding GDSs. Yeah, so... Tell uh, us about your story about GDSs. Well, this is really, I don't know if I had told you, but this is personal research for me. Uh, I was, this is me looking for what my next car will be, um, and I've narrowed it down to a, if anyone's listening and has one to sell, then send me a message, um, either a 991.1 GTS um, or a 911 GTS or a uh, Carrera T, 991.2. So I've narrowed it down to those two. Um, but as part of that, I was like, oh, well, what are the price movements of these and how does it compare to a 901.2 GTS, for example, and did a bit of, was like, oh, well, I have, I can do this. I have all the data. I have reporting tools. I can, you know, do a deep dive. And um, and unfortunately for me, being, you know, <laughs> being a potential buyer of these cars, these have also gone up in value tremendously in the last year good on the people who already, already have them and I should have bought one a year ago. Shouldn't we all have? <laughs> the uh, Interesting that you're comparing those two cars, one being a turbocharged, one being naturally aspirated. The why, like I find it, like one's pretty much a very much a luxury tourer with a lot of power and the other one is a lightweight, much more nimble product. They're quite different cars, you know. Even, look, sure, they're both 911s, but to drive, you drove, got out of one and drove the other. The difference would be quite diff, you know, a lot. So it's interesting, you you know, you look in the market for one of either of these cars. Yeah, um, they're both a very similar price. Uh, they so are. they're like basically within that same sort of two hundred to two fifty price bracket. Um, and um, the appeal of the Carrera T is. I feel like, it, and, and I haven't driven one yet, so I need to find one local to drive. And that's caveat is I haven't driven either of these cars yet. I've only oh, okay. yep. Yep. admired them from close close up. Um, but the Carrera T, I think, will be not similar in terms of driving feel, but it'll be it's similar ethos to the, the Cayman R that I have, and that it's yeah, the sure. you know. The KR, for those that don't know, it was sort of released in 2011 and it's uh, the, the lightweight version of the Cayman S. And by light, lightweight, it's not like they strip everything out and rebuilt it in carbon fiber like a singer. It's, um, they, I think they reduce like 20 or 30 kgs by yeah, not having door handles and having pull tabs and lighter weight doors. I think there's also a power increase of a similar, about 20 horsepower or something as well, wasn't there, over the Cayman S? Uh, 
I don't think it's that much. I think it's less. I, can't, I don't know off the top of my head. I can't remember, but it's a, it's a small amount of horsepower increase. The same era was about 25 horsepower more, and I'm making the assumption it would have had the same engine, you know? Okay. Yeah, it could be. Um, so it's slight power increase, more uh, slight aero changes. So it's got a fixed wing and a slight of different front splitter and then lighter weight so and lower suspension um, as well than a Cayman S. So it's like, you know, more sporty, go faster version of the Cayman S, but not, you know, a huge... Not GT4. <laughs> not a GT4, no, exactly. And in the same way, the Carrera T, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not a GT3, uh, but it's a, you know, had the work turned up. And I think that would be a really fun car to do events in um, and do the Targa events in and things like that. Um, and so that appeals to me for, you know, the lightweightness and just I've seen, you know, watched lots of reviews of it and I think the ethos of it sort of appeals to me as well. And I think it's debatable. You know, there's a lot of people who are cynical about the Carrera T. Um, and the GTS is, there's a few people who bring those to the Targa events and Porsche events and I've just always loved them and thought they looked brilliant. and. Uh, the the dot one being the naturally aspirated is probably more appealing to me and sure. um, also you know slightly lower price bracket than, than the dot twos so um, sort of between those two I'd be going for the dot dot one. I'm I'm look I've got to tell you I'm a massive sympathizer to the GDS I, you know for me if I was to go into the market and they you know because I wouldn't buy a GT car I'm a family guy I do want four seats you know. And yeah. yeah, if the touring came with four seats, I I'd put my name up down for one, but they don't. And so the GDS. Are you sure? Me, does the new one? Does the the new doesn't. one? I've already no. I got. I've actually. I'm in the fortune position where I've been allocated a vehicle that I'm not going to buy by Porsche. G3 touring. Yeah, but I'm not. So, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to take it. Because of those and, back seats. Yeah, I was wondering. I've been. There's been some speculation about whether they would or wouldn't. So that's a, no. Sadly, that would be that would be my dream car. By the yeah. way, a, a touring with back seats, absolutely perfect, except for the price tag. Um, yeah, sure. You know, but, you know but when you're window shopping, you know you may as well window shop for what you want. And also the GDS in a manual. You know, I've seen GDS Targas in manual. I haven't seen any GDS coupes in manual in, here in Perth or anywhere else. I've travelled around. I know that they're available. In Europe, I, I just haven't seen any here in Australia. Inevitably, there'll be some, but I, you know, a few of them here in Australia, but I haven't tripped over them. But you know, I do, it does appeal to me a lot, the GDS. So I just like the whole, I love the center locking wheel. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> that whole, that for me, I'm, I was stunned they didn't put them on the Carrera T. You know, I just think it would have just really taken it to that next level, only for aesthetic, you know, and, but I also believe. With the small volume of both those model cars, I actually think the GDS is going to age better than the Carrera T. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, and, you know, obviously no one can be sure of these things, but, uh, the, I mean, the Carrera Ts, they were sitting around 200 to 210 a year ago when I was, like, looking at them last time and, um, I wasn't ready to sort of to go then and wasn't looking at them seriously. And now they're 240, 250. Um, yeah. And that's now the new watermark, whether that comes down over time. Yeah, sure. Well, there's, such a low, there's such a low quantity of them came in Australia and you had the career T, if I recall. It's sub 20 or something, isn't it? Is that... uh, 
what is the number? Um, I have it written down. It's around about that. It's yeah. like it's, it's less than thirty. I think yeah. it's yeah. it's mid twenties off the top of my head, but it's around that. But yeah. at one point, when I was looking at them about a year ago, there was at any one time five or six or seven of them on the market. Oh, okay. Um, sure. There was no shortage of them, and and now I it seems like they've become maybe more collectible or certainly less uh, less of them on the market and those that are on the market are for a much higher price. So yeah, okay. whether they've just been swept along in general appreciation or whether it's uh, they've found their sweet spot and now people have decided they love them, I don't know. I'm sure like every other GDS enthusiast, you're conscious of that one that's coming up at Pickles next week? Pickles I haven't up. seen that, no. That's 991.1 lava orange, black interior. GDS. Oh, really? Yes. Better write that down. Anything wrong with it or is it okay? No, oh, look, I think two of the rims have been curbed. It's had a touch on the front left quarter. Oh, not front left bumper, sorry. That's But you can't see it in the photos, so it's it's probably just a scuff mark or something, knowing those guys. But it's in the market, you know, so if you're in the market. Will, uh, I've made a note. I'll check that out. Yeah. Look, probably not the most desirable colourway, but... I do, there are plenty of GD3 RS in lava orange getting around. Yeah, I've never seen, uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything other than a GT, you know, GT3 RS in that colour. I, so, I, wonder I wonder if it's a PDS then or something like that. I'm sure it would be. Yeah, yeah sure. It, it, it almost certainly would be. That's actually um, the thing that puts me off the 901.1 GTSs is I've never seen one in a really nice, in a really interesting colour uh, by nice as not the right word. Yeah, um, yeah, not nice to you, I understand. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, no, I mean, so they tend to be white, silver, or black, uh, or guards red every now and then. Um, I've only actually ever seen, I've only ever seen, I mean, carmine red. I've only ever oh, seen. Sorry, car, sorry carmine, carmine red, red. Not, yeah. not guards red. Um, and they're all nice colours. Which but, I don't mind as a colour. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be my pick of those those, those colours, the carmine red. So is, that's a nice colour. Um, but... So, for example, the 991.2s had some much more interesting colours in the GTSs. There's one for sale up in Sydney, which is just an absolutely stunning, I don't know the name of the colour, but it's a, a deep blue. If that car was available, if that car was in a, a dot one, that I'd be all over it. Um, but, um, yeah, I haven't seen any interesting colours for, or really seen paint to sample colours in the 991.1, so... I'll check that out and uh, hopefully I'm not bidding against you. I don't know if I'm quite you won't be. orange. I can assure you, you won't be. Um, it's not, I'm not in the market. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm I'm quite ready for lava orange, but um, has it got black wheels? I'm sure it does. The black center locking wheels? I can't remember. The yeah, I think, yeah, they are black. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I was just trying All to right. remember whether black or silver. I couldn't remember, but yeah, I'm almost certain they're black. Yeah. Probably black with yeah. a diamond cut on them, actually. Anyway. Look, I'm sure there'll be listeners who will be tapping away if the car is still on the market. Oh, yeah, now everyone's going, oh, that's great. Let's talk about this <laughs> on the podcast. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> I tell you, I won't publish this until that option's done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thank you and then if you're no good with lava orange. And then you, you can bring me back for an edit and we'll, uh, I'll film me driving away my lava orange. GTS. Yeah, this sounds a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's in Sydney. I think the car's in Sydney if I remember. That's okay. Yeah. Anyway. Can, can work with that. <laughs> but anyway, not, nice to hear that people are uh, still sniffing around yourself, obviously, in on those types of cars. And by enthusiasts, because I'm finding more and more of the 
later model Porsches. And look, let's face it, 991s, so many 991, 911s have been built, you know, like yeah. uh, I think statistically I heard that one in five 911s ever built is a 991. That's how many 991s were built, which doesn't seem to be helping in their re- which doesn't seem to be affecting their resale because no. just getting a getting into the 991 market is it's not cheap yet. You know, it's not like there's a uh, a critical mass that there's so many of them that no one wants them. No, not at all. Um, I mean, some of the models are are really rare, or certainly don't come up for sale very often. Um, and I wonder. Like we're still, a lot of those are still going to be with their first owners. Um, well, know, so they came out in 2012. Let's get on. Like that's oh yeah, not not yeah, not not the dot ones, uh, but yeah, a bunch of the dot twos will still be under oh, uh, the, under new car warranty with the first yeah, owners. You just don't see dot twos come up across any of the models very often, just in the conventional car selling spaces. Well, I don't anyway. It's yeah, I mean, I'm expecting that some GT3s will be coming on soon with the new GT3, you know, as deliveries start coming through the 992 GT3. I'm sure that's six people months. People will be, I know a bunch of people with GT with the, the the previous versions who are on the on the list for the new version, and most of them are not going to keep both cars in the garage. So, you know, they'll, they'll sell and one. Why, and why, next. why wouldn't you replace it? Because the old one was so terrible. <laughs> shocking, shocking. <laughs> <car>. <laughs> Like, so just, the market will be flooded. Predicting <laughs> it here, there'll be a glut of yeah, uh, like, 991 yeah. GT3s, which we can snap up for a bargain. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you've cl- yeah, you've clearly spoken about the um, cars on the horizon for you know car on the horizon that will replace the Cayman R. You'll keep the 964. Was that the intent, or the other way? Oh, uh, look, we're going to get rid of both. Sort of, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm. I'm I've been weighing this up for a couple of months and I've decided I'm going to wait until I find the ideal next car and then I work out what's the path to that car. It'll yeah. definitely involve selling one of them and maybe two of them um, to create garage space. But sure. I, yeah, and, and I, I have a bad habit of asking my friends for their advice and uh, it's very contradictory. It mostly involves not selling the 964. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, look, I, I did a... Uh a video on a 964 Carrera RS tribute car very recently, which has been done to the level that it's actually probably better than a 964 Carrera RS. It's, you know, got full 3.8, fully bombed motor in it, done all the suspension. It's an amazing motor car, beautiful drive, and um, presented very nicely. And whilst I've always been a, a sympathiser to the 964, I've always thought if I was had my choice of, air-cooled car, money, no object, I'd get a 993. But after driving this, I was, um, yeah, very much open to the idea of the right 964 if it pops up. So before you go and put it on your own website, give me a call. Well, there's a new uh, contender, a new problem for you. There's a singer opening up here. Yeah, that's not a problem for me. No, but all the 964s are going to become donor cars. Oh, they've started on the 993s now. So it's, oh right, okay. Well, yeah, because they're running well, uh, out of six four those bodies. Are, those are those are just a dime a dozen, so <laughs> no problem at all. Well, the uh, I think they said I think in the states at the moment they're out to seven years on your waiting list. If you Wait list. Uh, is that right? Yeah, and that's with a eighty percent deposit. 
<laughs> well, they're giving, giving, giving uh, Elon Musk a run for his money. I'm no um, genius here, but I reckon that's not bad business. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if that's the case, you'd, well, why would you bother opening up in Australia and starting to have Australian customers come in and saying, we would love to sell you that. Uh, problem is there are no 964 donor cars and you have to wait seven years when you find one. Well, you can't imagine they're going to build them here, right? They'd have to be coming out of states like as right-hand drive modified. I haven't heard anything, but it'd be, there'd be almost zero chance that they can build them here. I don't know I'll, how I'll, they would I'm do ma- that. I'm making an assumption here, by the way. I'm, I'm making an assumption as well, but there seems to be a huge, a lot of custom you know, equipment involved. It's a, it's a pretty big enterprise set. And, and, and quality, the, quality the, control being what it is with Sina. Yeah, and the, yeah, the team involved. To transport that to here for a small market, I, I'm not sure why they would do that. I understand there's a few of them in New Zealand at the moment. There's a what, sorry? There, I think there's three singers in New Zealand at the moment. I saw a photo like yesterday on Instagram of a New Zealand commission, which was uh, olive green, which is kind of a weird colour, but still looked beautiful, obviously. Um, and, yeah, it was it was a New Zealand delivery car. It was there on the ground. And um, I didn't actually realise that they had already been landing cars there and had the cool. compliance and things like that sorted out. I think it's easier in New Zealand than it is landing cars, importing cars, well, whether this is classed as an import or, you know, exactly that kind of stuff, they're obviously going to have worked out for Australia. But for New Zealand, it would have been much, much easier. I think, look, the path to getting an Australian car delivered to Australia, the simple way would be for you to send your 964 over for them to modify and bring it back again. I think that's what they'll be doing. That'd be a no-brainer. I think that's the only way that they'll be able to do it because you can't import an American car into Australia. Yeah, like it's oh, they're old enough now. They're over 25 years. The 964 is over 25 years. You'd be able to bring that car in. Um, would it, uh, okay, maybe I'll be corrected on that. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, because of its age, I think it'll be okay as long as it's still registered. But the modification part of it, yeah, that look, and the compliance, yeah. I think I'm assuming that I'd love to find out more about it. So if anyone knows, put it in there. Are there comments below? Do we do there that? are, there are, yes. Put, put in the comment below anyway. if you actually know what you're talking about because Mark yeah. and I yeah, <laughs> clearly are, uh, are just guessing here. Yeah, um, and let's not, let, let's not let fact or truth get in the way of this conversation. Absolutely not. We, we, I didn't know we were talking about single. I could have done more research, but yeah, I don't think anybody about, really knows. Right, let's talk yet. about Gunther Works now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I assumption is you have a 964 here, you ship it over to the US and they do the modifications and they ship it back as your car now with some other bits. In a new colour. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just sent it over for an olive green paint it's job. Right. yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, the, but I do know that listening to Chris Harris's podcasts semi-regularly, he's been waiting some time for his singer and he's tight with the guys at Singer, but he's not given any priority. So I, I remember him complaining about the waiting time and I think he's still three years out from his car getting built. Mm. And if you're, it's, you know. It's, it's quite possible out. that um, a few people have. So Sagami who are doing, you know, a, a sure. partnership with Singer, that they started taking orders three or four years ago. They could very we know. Well. Yeah, and the first um, cars could be ready to get land we'll, or something. Uh, we'll put some deposits down, work mm-hmm. it out, and then, <laughs> when the list is further progressed, we'll actually announce it. Wouldn't surprise and, me. Yeah, you, you might be right. And let's face it, dealers love taking a deposit. <laughs> so, 
especially 80%. <laughs> anyway, so look, it's been um, fascinating talking to you about Porsches and the market and the business that you offer with your, um, you know, with Summon. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we should catch up again soon and um, see how things are progressing with the business as it's developing, it. you know, in the Australian market. I'm, you know, fascinated just the fact that you've essentially created something, a new business out of nothing. I've always completely... I love that sort of stuff in any industry, especially if it involves, you know, cars and I like cars. So it's been <laughs> great spending time with you this evening. I really appreciate it, Tim. So, um, yeah, thanks very much, Mark. Appreciate it. You're more than welcome. And um, if anyone's looking to sell their car, Tim's details are below, summon.com.au. Check him out. Thanks great. very much. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye.